leading a startup team, whether you're delivering a sugar rush, stocking coffee, or getting a regular delivery of snacks, Office Depot has solutions that fit every startup culture, from getting those first business cards and stationery to ordering fleece pullovers with your new logo. To learn how Office Depot and the California Technology Council have partnered to bring you savings on all of these startup essentials and more, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. The lack of diversity in genomic data has been an issue of growing concern. It threatens to limit the benefits from the massive investment that's been made to date to transform biomedical research, drug development, and the clinical care of patients. We spoke to Jonas Korlach, Chief Scientific Officer of Pacific Biosciences, about the problem, how it's being addressed, and the role advancing technology can play in gleaning greater insights from the genomes that are analyzed. Jonas, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. We're going to talk about genetic sequencing, the world of precision medicine, and the issue of genetic diversity. Uh, I think it might be useful to start with the concept of a reference genome. What's meant by that term, and how is a reference genome used? Yeah, certainly. So um, the genome is the genetic material of an organism, which for humans is uh, about 6 billion DNA letters, or they call base pairs, and they stretch across 46 chromosomes. Um, those are in 23 pairs, uh, one each from the mother and father. And a reference genome is the sequence of, a, of one representative individual or a composite of individuals. And the reference uh, term means that uh, the scientific community was striving for the highest quality with uh, the currently available technologies to decode the genome and have the best representation of um, the actual uh, genetic blueprint. And so thus far, the scientific community has produced reference genomes for human, for mouse, yeast, and a few other species. And so the reference genome serves um, essentially as a common coordinate system for annotation of functional elements like genes and allows you to compare uh, different individuals and, and also species. So in a way, it is like latitude and longitude, which is the common system to indicate position on the planet, and it allows you to talk about specific genes, how changes in those genes may cause disease and the like. Uh, so it's a, it's a really crucial framework that allows scientists, geneticists, to talk about our genetic blueprint and how it relates to, to phenotypes um, and how it relates to disease. And so it really, the, the human reference genome really provided a way for people to talk about the genome across the globe, uh, like a dictionary with a language understood by everyone. And as a side note, another very nice side aspect of, of this, the generation of the reference genome by the uh, Human Genome Project 
was that it was a truly international effort. Uh, people from many different countries, many different uh, ethnic backgrounds and diversity working together on a common goal. So it's a, it's a little bit different in terms of some of the other monumental achievements, uh, you know, like, like the space race, uh, apart from the space, space station, it's, it's still very much a, a national effort paradigm. Um, the reference genome and you know, human uh, uh, genome project was really a truly a global effort, and I think that was important because it, it really brought us together as a species and also highlighted that we're not all that different from each other, but now, I guess what we'll talk about is that um, the differences do matter and uh, need to be um, considered um, in terms of diversity as we as we go to, towards precision medicine. Well, recently there's been a lot of discussion about the need for diversity in gathering genetic information. What does the term diversity mean in the context of genomes? Is it what we think of diversity as being? Does it imply nuances we might not normally think of when we speak of diversity? Yeah, um, I mean, so there's a there's a lot of different uh, aspects to diversity. The human population is a wide range uh, of different types of diversity: cultural, phenotypic, meaning the way we look, uh, and also genotypic um, diversity, um, what kind of genes we have in our genomes. And so, uh, often, of course, the three are connected. Uh, you know, culture is passed on from parents to children, and also the genetics. Uh, your genes are passed on from the parents to children, and so. Uh, genetics explains many phenotypic traits, meaning what we look like, and, and that's part of the reason why different ethnic groups uh, look a little different from each other. Um, and so the most critical type for diversity in uh, precision medicine is genetic diversity. And it's important to note that uh, we spoke about the human reference genome, but it's not a complete encyclopedia that's uh, all human. In fact, the, the reference genome is currently um, a, a composite from about 70 individuals, but for technical reasons, one individual contributed um, the majority, about 70%, um, to that sequence. Another side note is that um, the reference genome in most places is just a single sequence, but as I noted before, every human being has two copies, one from the father and one from the mother, and those copies are of course, not identical, because otherwise your father and mother would look the same, uh, and they don't. And so even from that individual, the reference only represents about half what is actually present in that, in that individual. But, but coming back to diversity, uh, each individual human has literally millions of base pairs in his or her genome that are not found in the reference. And that's what I meant by the reference is not a complete encyclopedia for all humans. And vice versa, there's millions of base pairs that are in the reference that may not be in my genome or your genome. And so, for example, there was a recent study from uh, Sweden where they used uh, PecBioSmart sequencing to assemble um, from scratch two Swedish individuals, and they identified about 10 million base pairs present in these individuals that are not uh, present in the reference genome. And so that has um, pretty important implications because... Um, for having effective personalized medicine, it is important to have as much information as possible of the DNA sequence in the human population be represented in the reference genomes and these population genome databases to make um, an uh, informed analysis. Well, I'm wondering if, if you can expand on that. As we move towards this era of precision medicine, that 
many people have been anticipating, what's the consequence of not having adequate diversity in reference genomes? Yeah, so, you know, the medical interpretation of a patient's, of a patient's genome involves comparing that genome to the reference genomes um, so that you can identify regions in that patient that may be disrupted or broken relative to these reference genomes. However, typically, any regions any region of the patient genome that does not match well to a region of the reference genome is ignored, and so it does not contribute to the analysis. But often these unique regions of a patient's genomes are really interesting and maybe important. And so if the, if the reference genome um, is incomplete and doesn't adequately um, represent the diversity um, or is a poor match for the genome of that particular patient with that particular ethnicity, then the power to interpret that patient's genome is reduced. Are there any examples you can point to how this lack of diversity plays out in the quality of clinical care or the ability to benefit at a patient level from the knowledge we have? Yeah, there are quite a, quite a few examples. And so um, uh, maybe the first example I want to mention is the interpretation of variants um, changes in patients' genomes that cause rare and, and presumably genetic diseases. Uh, genome sequencing has been very effective in, in improving the, the diagnosis for these types of patients, but currently it is most effective for Caucasians um, and for Europeans who are best represented by the existing reference genomes and also the population databases that have been assembled. And so uh, that means that individuals from other ethnicities uh, more often receive a non-definitive answer. Um, as one specific example, there was a recent study in a cardiology journal um, where they found that um, genetic tests for a certain heart disease, cardiomyopathy, uh, they were better able to identify these pathogenic variants, meaning disease-causing changes in the um, DNA, in the genomes, in white patients than patients from other ethnicities. And so, as I mentioned, it's not just the reference genome that have this bias and are an overrepresentation relative to Caucasians, um, but the other associated data sets and databases uh, as well that uh, really help make the clinical diagnosis. So there are large databases, one is called EXAC, where over 50% of the entries are uh, comprising Europeans. Um, Historically, um, there has been a bias in so-called GWAS, Genome-Wide Association Studies, that's looking to identify disease-causing genes and in which uh, non-European participants represented only 19% of the individuals in these types of studies, uh, it, it, despite the fact that over three-fourths of the world's population live in Africa and Asia. Um, Another example, Africans in general have a lot more variation, um, and so they are, as a group, are much less well represented by the human reference genome. A second category where this um, is important is in disease risk. Um, so um, as one example, there was a study um, looking at the disease rheumatoid arthritis, and this was carried out by a Korean group of scientists, and they asked a simple question, and they asked, for the Korean population, um, how many of the mutations that had been identified in Caucasians in European by a previous study are relevant and important for predicting rheumatoid arthritis in their Korean population? And the answer was zero. None of those uh, mutations 
and none of those associations played any role in predicting uh, the disease for uh, Koreans. And um, another um, disease risk example is in cancer. It turns out that um, cancer markers, so those are genes and, and mutations in genes that indicate a certain cancer and cancer risk, they do not validate in an ethnic group other than the um, cohort and the group of people where it was used uh, for discovering these. And those are due to differences in the local genomic structure uh, between the, the ethnic groups that are associated with um, those uh, cancer risk uh, connections. Um, another example is the um, it has ramifications of potential drug discoveries. Um, so because most genomic variation is uh, both rare and population-specific, um, you can miss important opportunities if you're just studying a single ancestral group. Um, so there's one example. There's a gene called PCSK9, and uh, it turns out that if you have mutations in that gene that make it uh, basically inactive, um, it is um, causing low cholesterol levels and a lower risk for coronary heart disease. And um, that would have been missed if the studies had been restricted to individuals of European ancestry, luckily, this was uh, carried out on an African-American cohort, um, um, people who had very low cholesterol levels, and so the researchers found that those African-Americans had a particular mutation in that, in that gene that uh, kept these levels low and resulted in fewer heart attacks. And so this discovery now led to the newest class of cholesterol medications known as PCSK9 inhibitors. So. Um, that's a nice example of highlighting how it really, everyone benefits by looking at a larger uh, diversity um, with important ramifications for, for drug developments. And maybe lastly, um, if you limit your studies to a single ancestry group, that can also have consequences in terms of misinterpretation uh, for clinical diagnosis. Um, for example, there was a study that identified certain genomic variants in African Americans, and these were initially classified as disease-causing for uh, another heart disease um, uh, because they had used largely European ancestry samples. But then uh, they, it was found that those were quite common in the African populations, and so they're much less likely to be disease-causing because those people didn't have the, the heart disease. Why does this problem of diversity exist? Is it cultural barriers? Is it issues of access and outreach? Is it a geographical problem? What What are the factors that are at play? Yeah, that's a that's a complex. Or this question has a complex answer. There are many layers, I think. And so let me let me try to maybe touch on at least a few of them. So I think it was necessary to start somewhere. Um, you know, with a single reference genome and. By that very nature, it was inevitable that the first reference genome would suit some humans better than others. And um, there are a few other reasons that um, the scientific community has yet to fully complement that first reference genome with more diverse genomes. The first uh, is a matter of scientific discovery. It actually took quite a bit of time to recognize just how much genetic diversity exists in the human population and between the different ethnicities. The initial research uh, only focused on the small differences, the so-called SNPs, or single nucleotide polymorphisms. Those are uh, single base changes, so just one letter in the DNA alphabet um, in the sequence is changed. And that initially suggested that any two humans were 
99.9% identical at their DNA genome level. Um, however, more recent work using technologies like PEG biosequencing has shown that large so-called structural variants, those are larger changes, greater than 50 base pairs or more, um, those changes more than doubled the previously recognized differences. And so um, a single reference is quite suitable for cataloging small differences. It's not very good at managing those larger differences. Um, the second aspect is a matter of budget. Um, as I think um, many know, is the Human Genome Project is very expensive, about $3 billion, and very time-consuming over 10 years across multiple sequencing centers. Uh, to assemble the first human genome, and you know, it was difficult to uh, um, convince politicians and and others to uh, consider amassing those kinds of resources for subsequent references. Um, however, uh, this has changed quite dramatically, and today, um, with the progress in um, the sequencing technologies, it can be done much more quickly and cheaply. So, for example, you can now get this a map of the structure variants I just mentioned for less than three thousand um, dollars with PEG biosequencing. Um, and uh, that's comparable of what it takes to get at the uh, SNP um, uh, table. So um, it's gotten much um, cheaper and uh, much faster uh, to do this kind of research, and that really enables now to look at um, reference genomes uh, for other um, ethnicities. Uh, the third, I think, is just, um, you know, historically, um, much of the genomics effort was funded by wealthy nations, and so I think maybe understandably they focused first on their majority populations. But uh, of course, it's important that we continue from from there to represent um, minorities in the wealthy nations as well as citizens of less wealthy nations. Uh, a fourth, um, I think, aspect of why this um, problem of diversity exists in genomics is a cultural barrier with regard to uh, awareness and education and also some um, aspect of trust in that previously um, I think there have been experiences by minority groups um, that have not been uh, favorable and so there's some uh, suspicion about the value that they will get. There's some um, fear I think about the risks of what happens with the information and how that's being utilized in the future and so forth. So there's a cultural aspect that I think is really important and that also needs to be uh, considered as well. Is there some critical mask we need to achieve uh, to reach an adequate diversity in the genomic data we have? Is there any consensus on what that might be? Yeah, I, I think I think the ultimate um, goal for personalized medicine is that you have personalized reference genomes, meaning that the limit is really um, you know, one genome per human at that kind of quality that the reference genome now uh, provides. Uh, we're probably still a little bit um, away from that because um, the sequencing and the entire workflow to get from a sample to a reference quality genome is still um, fairly involved. Um, so in the meantime, I think it's generally acknowledged that a good step forward is uh, this concept of having a reference genome for each major ethnic group. And we have seen that uh, there have been there are many national sequencing efforts uh, now that um, produce, let's say, the Korean um, personal genome project, uh, making the Korean reference genome. There's Japanese uh, reference genomes, the Chinese reference genome. I talked about the one in Sweden, and they're all working towards this goal, um, effectively 
generating a reference genome that's more appropriate for their uh, population and uh, really cataloging for the first time these ethnic differences that then play a role in what I outlined with regard to diagnosis, disease risk, uh, drug development, and, and so forth. Um, and many of those, I should mention, um, are most, if not all of those, uh, were enabled by um, uh, PEG biosequencing. Um, however, I think the community wants to go uh, further than that, and um, this is um, the concept of a de novo uh, genome, meaning you put together an individual's genome from scratch, um, not relying on the reference genome, because, as I mentioned, there's an inherent bias. You take um, data from an individual and compare them to the reference. Um, as I said, if it's not in the reference, uh, you can't uh, you can't analyze it. So. Uh, leading scientists have noted that um, ultimately we want to go to these types of de novo genomes, meaning we put each individual's um, genomes together from scratch. Tim Lupsky, a uh, very um, preeminent researcher at Baylor College, said that uh, bringing these de novo genomes into the clinic, that's the goal that uh, you would really want to strive for, and he said that three years ago. Um, Evan Eichler at the University of Washington uh, said that um, recently that if we still use the reference genome 10 years from now clinically that we failed, we need to understand these genomes for each individual from scratch and from bow to stern. And so I think um, these ethnically diverse reference genomes that I talked about, the Korean reference genome, Japanese, and so forth, that's a transition um, to ultimately having de novo genomes and being able to to analyze those. And so uh, I think we're gonna we're going to get there, and um, uh, you know these um, movements happen at different speeds in the research arena versus uh, in the clinic and so forth. Because um, obviously it's a difference of trying to make a discovery of how the genome works versus um, being able to diagnose an individual and then have some some sort of uh, treatment. Um, another aspect. Um, that's important, I think, and that's really coming to the forefront now, uh, is the importance of phasing the information. What that means is that, uh, as I mentioned, each of our genomes is diploid. Um, that means you have two copies, one from the father and one from the mother, and it matters whether uh, those mutations are on the same copy or whether you have, let's say, one mutation each on the two copies. And so, um, with the previous uh, so-called short-read sequencing technologies, you cannot see that, but it is accessible with methods now such as long-read biosequencing. And so uh, most in, in the context of diversity that we talked about, um, it, you can immediately see this with mixed um, ethnicity individuals. And so they may have um, the uh, copy from the father and the copy from the mother representing different ethnicities. And so you need to be able to parse out um, which of the mutations come from the father and which come from the mother to really get to um, the best possible precision medicine program. The National Institutes of, of Health has kicked off its All of Us initiative, which is hoping to sequence at least one million people in an effort to extend precision medicine to all diseases. What's being done in this effort to ensure adequate genomic diversity? Yeah, absolutely, and and it's been really great to see that there's such a strong focus on on uh, uh, genomic diversity. So I, I really want to commend the NIH for making a uh, a strong point of that. And it's clear from its name, you know, um, the NIH 
effort aims to represent all of us across race, ethnicity, sex, gender, sexual orientation, and so forth. And so inclusion is a very explicit goal of that study, and uh, it will be measurable through these participant surveys. I understand that um, to help recruit representatives from all of these groups, the All of Us initiative uh, does not require health insurance. It's entirely free to participants. The program has an All of Us journey across America to visit all regions of the country, educate citizens, on how and why to participate um, and uh, really raise awareness and educate so that we have truly a um, representative um, spectrum of the American population, which, of course, America is, is, the, uh, uh, is the tossed salad of... I, I don't like the, the term melting pot because it means that uh, you would uh, mesh it all together. I like the tossed salad analogy where uh, we try to uh, really all live together and really... Uh, enrich our lives through experiencing the diversity from the different cultures that make up the um, uh, the, uh, the United States of America. What other efforts can be made to improve the diversity in the genomes available for study? Yeah, I mean, in addition to um, the genetic diversity of those subjects, it's, I think it's very critical that um, use an effective technology to study those uh, selected patients and genomes. And so uh, there are some popular tools uh, like so-called arrays and short-read sequencing that are really unable to study large parts of the genome. And um, of those technologies available today, um, PECBio long-read sequencing really provides the most comprehensive view of genomes. I think it's important to uh, not just look at the quantities and uh, look at one million people, but also look at the quality of the data that's being uh, applied, um, of the technology that's being applied and the quality of data that then comes out, because otherwise you're just going to have to do it all over again. And so applying the best quality tool, I think, will ensure that as much as possible of the information of an individual genome is captured, and then that will really help with the statistics and the associations to really understand what causes disease versus what are common variants that may not cause disease, et cetera. Well, we, we, we think of the issue of diversity being a problem of participation, but are there scientific issues here? Uh, how much of the gaps in our understanding of the genome and variation in genomes have to do with technology? Are there missing pieces in our understanding of variation that we need to back and fill with the technology that we use to read and assemble genomes has gotten better? Yeah, that, that's right. I mean, so uh, this this uh, so-called structure variation is something that was known for over 10 years, but um, because of the prevailing technology that was used, the short read sequencing, it really has not been that accessible. And so over the past maybe two or three years, we've really seen a renaissance of applying uh, mainly long-read PEC bio-sequencing to fill those gaps, fill gaps in the reference genome, uh, elucidate these types of structure variants. And it's quite remarkable in those ethnically diverse reference genomes, tens of thousands of new variants have been identified that uh, are new discoveries that had not been seen before ever, uh, despite of uh, large so-called, um, you know, thousand genomes projects and so forth that applied the short read technologies. And so um, this is now happening uh, at a larger population scale. And so we are in the midst of really catching up on um, filling the true um, set of diversity of genetic diversity within the global human population and um, that will fill the databases and I think we will 
uh, hopefully within, you know, three to five years have a much more comprehensive view of all the differences that exist across um, the human population and the different ethnicities, and then um, in turn provide a better understanding through cohort studies um, with different ethnicities what causes disease and what doesn't. What's it going to take to have precision medicine truly define the way we, we treat and prevent diseases? I think there's a, a number of aspects that, that have to happen. Um, from, a, from a technology point of view, I think we need to um, be able to sequence and um, represent patients' genomes in a manner that uh, captures all their variation. Uh, we need to uh, generate the databases um, that can then be used, and that's not going to be, I, I, I don't think that's going to be one reference genome, and those, this is already starting where um, the scientific community is working on so-called graph-based uh, references, which capture a lot more variation. Um, it's going to take a lot more data. Um, so, you know, initiatives like the Million of Us is going to be a foundational for then giving uh, an accurate diagnosis. It's going to take education of the doctors so that the, when the clinical report comes back from a truly whole genome analysis, they know how to interpret that um, with regard to the particular mutations, with regard to the um, particular patient's um, propensity to metabolize drugs. Um, so, you know, one example is, uh, and it's called pharmacogenomics, the ability for individuals to metabolize drugs is very different. Some are slow metabolizers, some are rapid metabolizers, and so the doctor has to appropriately adjust the dose for the particular individual, and much of that is genetics. And and it's another example where the short tree technologies have not been able to uh, really characterize that fully, and so there are now assays in development where they use PEC-bio long-read sequencing to really look at those genes and have a much better uh, prediction of how those patients will uh, break down the medicines that are being prescribed. And, and then I think there's a, a cultural uh, shift with a... Um, um, with an awareness and an acceptance and the proper regulatory environment that protects people from um, misuse of that information by insurance companies, by employers, and so forth. And so um, the ethnic diversity part is, I think, a large uh, portion because, you know, we, we certainly don't want to be in a situation where uh, certain ethnicities are better served in the clinic and there's, you know, better precision medicine for some ethnicities uh, compared to others. That would be, that would be something like analogous to if you, if you break your arm and you go to the doctor and the doctor says, well, I can't fix that because you are like the quote unquote wrong ethnicity. That, that's absurd, obviously. Um, and, uh, we want to do everything we can to stay as far away from that as possible. And the programs, um, like the, all of us and others around the world are really striving towards making that a reality. Jonas Korak, Chief Scientific Officer of Pacific Biosciences. Jonas, thanks so much for your time today. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. 
If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it. <laughs>